play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, hip-hop artist and producer, Lyrics Born. Born just released his 10th album. It's called Quite a Life after 25 years in the music business. When I first started, I was still being called the Oriental Rapper. Really? Yeah, it was terrible. I would read things in the press in the early 90s. But I was pretty good for an Asian guy. Lyrics Born, who I'm going to start calling LB in a minute because he told me I could call him that, grew up in Berkeley, California, which is where he still lives today. A super diverse place where he was exposed to food from all around the world, including kimchi, which he loved, but confused and disgusted his non-Asian college roommates. And they thought it was funny. They'd call it bloody lettuce, you know, and I said, but no, guys, it's spicy. It's got probiotic qualities. (laughs) You should really partake. Get that bloody lettuce out of here. You know what I mean? I hope his former roomies aren't listening because we are going to go deep into bloody lettuce territory with four-time James Beard Award-nominated chef Rachel Yang. Rachel co-owns Revel, Jewel, and Trove with her husband in Seattle and Revelry in Portland. She moved to the U.S. from Korea when she was 15 years old. Kimchi in Korea, it's not an optional thing. It is very much a necessity that you have to have. Kimchi and rice is kind of bread and butter. You don't have one without it. But LB's last meal is not kimchi. His last meal is a delicious Japanese dish. And of course, you're going to learn all about that later in the show. But right now, my conversation with Lyrics Born, whose original performance name was Asia Born. He changed his name after he realized that people were focusing more on his race than they were on his music. It wasn't until I started touring the country, touring the world. And, and getting notoriety in the press that they started writing these things about me. And I mean, this is terrible. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think that's how every person of color has felt at some level, you know, just being in the entertainment business. Because typically, there, you know, there is a lack of equitable representation, mm-hmm. you know. And so I got tired of not having control over the narrative. And it wasn't fair to me. It wasn't fair to the rest of us. Because what does it mean to be Asian? I mean, it's... How many food groups are we talking about here? I mean, we're Filipino, we're Japanese, we're East Asian, we're South Asian, we're Cambodian, we're Lao, we're Hmong, we're Indian, we're Pakistan. You know, it's like our experience is too diverse, really, for me to be seen as the be-all, end-all, and the spokesperson for half the population of the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? I literally had major label A&R executives tell me, well, we can't sign you. You're too hard to market. You're Asian. And I was like, well, you know what? Forget you then. I'm going to do it myself. You know, I'm going to do it myself. And that's what I did. LB co-founded Quantum in 1997, an independent record label and artist collective based out of the Bay Area, which is where he has lived for most of his life. So you've lived in Tokyo, Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City, Mm -hmm. and Berkeley. Correct. 
I went on Wikipedia, can you tell? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I was born in Tokyo. My mother's American. My father's Japanese. And they lived there until I was three. They were divorced. My mother moved to Salt Lake City because that's where my grandparents were at the time. We lived there till about the, I was six or seven. And then we moved to Berkeley in the 80s. That's where I've been ever since. We nice. still live there now. I am also a Bay Area person. Hello. I'm from a real cool town called Pleasanton. Oh, yeah. So is she. <laughs> you. So is Joy Ovalarde. Oh, I'm Amador. Oh. Okay, so here's the part in the show where I have a conversation with someone who you can't hear. This is LB's wife. Her name is Joyo Villarde. She is also a hip-hop and funk singer. She performs with her husband, and she's in the studio, in the corner, even though I told her nobody puts baby in the corner. I offered this woman a microphone, and it was funny because uh, when she refused the mic, Lyrics Born was like, that's not going to last for long, and I was like, whatever. That's like a like relationship thing that they're doing. But then after her and I started talking about the fact that we're from the same suburb, he's like, see, I told you. She wasn't going to stay off the mic for long. This was very exciting for me because up here in Seattle, especially, nobody has heard of Pleasanton, California. Whoa, that's Pleasanton so in the building. Nobody can hear because you're off on the side, but who we're talking to is Joy. We're talking to Joy. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, that's so crazy. We're going to have to talk about this afterwards. I told you it wasn't going to last long. <laughs> what did I tell you? LB and Joy are super warm, super sweet people that I feel anybody would love right away. And then later that night, because I posted a picture of us on social media, I got a message from my friend Lydia Popovich. Now, this has nothing to do with the Pleasanton connection. Lydia and I went to college together in Chico. She's a very funny stand-up comedian in Los Angeles, super into food. And coincidentally, she used to run Lyrics Born's record label like 10 years ago. So, ah, I love these connections. Anyway, that happened. Now back to me and LB. LB and I. LB and me. What was your childhood like culinarily? Did you have any of the Japanese food follow you or you were with your American mom? So my earliest memory was eating at my, this tainted me and just forever. My grandmother's house, she boiled everything. Boiled peas, boiled steak, boiled potatoes. Boiled steak? Yes. Yes. I didn't know you could do that. Neither did I. All the vegetables came from a can. Everything was packaged. It was crazy. She was from that era. Mm -hmm. But I grew up also with a rice cooker in the house, my mother's house. You know, she took on a lot of the culinary habits of my father, thank God. We ate chicken katsu before it was a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, tonkatsu sauce, which is still my favorite sauce in the world. Put that, can I curse? Um, Put that stuff on everything. (laughs) You know, knowing the difference between Japanese rice, Chinese rice, basmati, jasmine, black and brown rice, you know, basically, you know, you just growing up Asian in America, you learn that what you eat is different, you know, and it was interesting, like having a white mom, she kind of adopted all these things, you know, so we had like all this. I'm drooling right now, just just <laughs> all recalling over the microphone. it. Yes, so I grew up with like curry rice and like all these kind of Jap- like Japanese soul food. Really, yeah, you know, growing up in Berkeley, I mean, that's an amazing food scene. When I still lived in the Bay Area in Pleasanton, the Bart didn't reach Pleasanton yet, but we mm-hmm. would like drive out there and we would always like try to disguise that we were from the suburbs so that we could buy weed and and not get murdered. We'd stop in Oakland to get weed and then we'd continue on to Berkeley to buy hemp necklaces. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're on a weed tour, <laughs> pretty much. 
much. Right. And Berkeley was amazing. I mean, that was like the first place I ever had Thai food. It right. It was so exotic. And- yeah. Growing up, Berkeley was the first place I ever saw that had food trucks. If you went to Telegraph back in the day, all along the campus on Bancroft and Telegraph, it was lined with food carts and food trucks that would cater to the students. Yeah. And it was really great stuff. It would be like falafel, like middle, mm. before falafel was a thing, you know, yeah. it was like Middle Eastern stuff and you could get couscous and domus and they had a, a, a food truck that served sushi back wow. before sushi was big. Is this in the 90s? This was in the 80s. Oh. It was an awesome time, you know, to grow up, to really be around that, that amount of culture. I mean, Saul's is there. It used to be called Rosenthal's. It was like, mm. still is the only Jewish deli in the East Bay where you can get matzo ball soup and... That was in the gourmet ghetto, they called it. It's where Chez Panisse is. Oh, okay. It's where the cheese board is. I grew up with that. You know, I grew up seeing that, you know, lines around the block for slices of pizza. Yeah. You know? You we know. used to go to Fat Slice and thought it was like the coolest yes. place. And I don't remember why, but maybe because the pieces were so huge. That's where I used to buy weed. Oh, if that is where I used to buy weed. There was a dude there that worked. I'm not going to say his name. I seriously doubt he still works there, but yes. He's like 90. So you could get high and get the munchies all in the same place. All in the same place, yeah. When we come back, Lyrics Born shares his last meal, which happens to match up perfectly with his ethnicity and his upbringing. It's a Western-influenced Japanese dish invented just before the 20th century. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Paulsbo, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Like listening to your last meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at CascadePBS.org or find a link in the show notes. All right, let's get to the meat of the matter. What is your last meal? My last meal? You know, okay, I'll be honest with you. My last meal... It would be chicken katsu. Ooh, that's a good one. It would be chicken katsu. Can you explain to people what that is? Chicken katsu is Japanese fried chicken. And when it's done, I had, sorry, I had to swallow some. It's emotional. I understand that. It really is. Yeah. When you it's, need a tissue? When it's done right, <laughs> it's a pounded, tenderized, very thin chicken breast. 
like a Parmesan, let's say, similar. A so Milanese. That, that cut, right, there you Milanese. go. Milanese. There you go. Yeah. And it's pounded, and then you, you drag it in egg, and then you drag it in flour, and then you drag it in egg again, mm-hmm. and then you roll it in panko, yes. which are Japanese breadcrumbs. And I learned what made Jap- what panko, why it's so delicious is it's not the crust of the bread. It's the inside. I was just going to ask you because I've always wondered what makes it different from other breadcrumbs. Yeah. And then, oh my God, I'm drooling. And then you shred some cabbage and make sure you shred like a whole head because the way I was always raised to eat uh, chicken katsu is you eat, then you put the tonkatsu sauce on the chicken and then you eat it over the cabbage. So So it drips down and makes a dressing. That's right. So do you not eat it over rice, too? Just Rice, cabbage? too. Yes, yeah, some white okay. rice on the side. Some white rice on the side. That's my last meal. It's so good. I would be a happy boy. So what I, is that sauce? I've only seen it in the bottle. I've never heard of anyone actually making their own. It's kind yes. of like sweet and tarty. I think there's a lot of chemicals in the sauce, yes. which make it delicious. Yeah. There's definitely some soy sauce in there somewhere mm-hmm. at some point. <laughs> Is there ketchup in there? There might be it's because it's ketchup-y. sweet. Yeah. It's sweet. It's very thick and it's sweet and yeah. it's kind of syrupy. The texture is syrupy. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't taste syrupy, but bulldog, bulldog sauce. That's what we used to call it as a kid. It was it was called bulldog sauce. Was there a bulldog on the cover? There was a bulldog. The, the logo was okay. a bulldog. Bulldog sauce. That is the actual name of this product. That's the name of the brand, and there is still a bulldog on the label. It's a thick, glossy brown sauce made in Japan, and it's been around for over 100 years. According to the official Bulldog website, the sauce is made from stewed vegetables and fruits, like tomatoes, onions, carrots, apples, lemons, and prunes. It is 30% vinegar, and the rest is sugar, salt, and 10 spices, including cinnamon, cloves, laurel, thyme, ginger. And turns out, Lyrics Born and I were totally wrong. There are not a bunch of weird chemicals. There is no soy sauce. There is no ketchup. It is mostly natural, except for a little bit of high fructose corn syrup. And the sauce and the bulldog symbol have roots in England. This was based off of a classic Worcester sauce. I should get so many points for saying that correctly on the first try. Uh, But it was reworked and recrafted to please the palates of Japanese eaters. The Bulldog website says, and I quote, Tonkatsu and its sauce are inseparable. The thing that helped fuse the Western cutlets with Japanese cooking the most is the sauce. And in fact, it would not be a stretch to say that without the sauce, Tonkatsu would not exist. Well, duh. That's on your website, and you're trying to sell sauce. <laughs> Back to LB and his chicken katsu. Yeah, I'd eat it at home, but then there was this place in Shibuya, which when I was probably in my teens, that had chicken katsu. In Japan, they have beef katsu. They have tonkatsu, which is pork. But we got chicken katsu, which is actually kind of hard to find in Japan. Most places just sell pork, and they would give you unlimited shredded cabbage. With, oh my God, I'm drooling. With the most incredible, do you know what furikake is? Yes. You know furikake? Yeah. Okay, so you they give it to you as the seeds and you'd grind it yourself. Whoa. They give it to you in a little bowl with a little mallet. You basically just make your own. And you'd sit there and you'd grind it yourself. Wow. And then you'd put it over the cabbage. They'd give you, of course, a couple lemon slices, you know, to squeeze. Yes. I mean, the cabbage was like a close second as to what was the best part of this entire dish. When I would go to Japan, I'd have lunch there like probably, if I stayed for three weeks, two of those weeks solid. Every day. Yeah, I can't do that anymore, <laughs> you know. But Are you a creature of habit in general? Totally. Yeah. I think most dudes are, you know. 
And now, the history of chicken katsu. Described by me with information derived from, once again, the Bulldog website. I'm telling you guys, it's like this is like the best website I've seen in the longest time. I feel like if you're in school right now trying to learn website design, go to the Bulldog website. So informative. Such great graphics. It's like modern and cool. And I have like a huge crush on a website all of a sudden. It's such a good website. Okay, so the word katsu comes from the English word cutlet, which derives from the French word. I don't know how to pronounce this. Is cotelet? C-O-T-E-L-E-T-T-E. And so when that is pronounced in the Japanese accent, it sounds like katsuretsu, which eventually gets shortened to katsu. And in Japanese, tan means pig. So tonkatsu is a pork cutlet. Tonkatsu was invented in the very late 1800s at a restaurant in Tokyo called Rengate. And this is when a particular kind of Japanese food derived. It's called yoshoku. And it's like Western Japanese kind of fusion. So growing up in the Bay Area, we had a restaurant called Coco's. And it was like a 24-hour kind of grandma kind of dinery place where you'd go to have like meatloaf and mashed potatoes. And a Japanese company bought Coco. So they have that in Japan. So they serve kind of these like special kind of mix-up of Japanese and Western food. And that's what katsu is because, of course, basically every culture has their own version of a pounded out chicken breast or pork cutlet. Uh, And this is the Japanese version. Now, earlier, LB did a perfect job of describing the dish and how it is made. But I will add that it is deep fried, not pan fried, which makes it super crispy, super crunchy on the outside, really juicy on the inside, and ideally not greasy at all. The meat is then sliced in the strips and served over cabbage that has basically been shredded. It is sliced so, so thin. And then on the side, you get your rice and your miso soup. Oh, and the Bulldog website would like me to remind you, the katsu was then drizzled heavily with tonkatsu sauce. Ding! (laughs) Available on a beautiful website near you. And I learned that katsu also means victory in Japan. Same word, different definitions. So I guess it's traditional for Japanese people to eat it before they take a big test or before there's a big sports game. So they are victorious in both fried meat and other stuff. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, LB tells a funny little kimchi story. And then we have Chef Rachel Yang here to tell us how you can make your store-bought kimchi taste even better. I remember my first day of college very clearly uh, two things. I remember trying to find someone to smoke weed with. I was wearing my Pantera shirt and my chain wallet still. This was in 1997. And I remember walking into the dorm cafeteria and eating there for the first time. Now, I don't know if everyone else can relate to this, but like, you know, you eat in your house and you kind of think that your family is normal. Well, I, I actually, I knew that we didn't eat normally because when people would come over, they would tell me that my family didn't eat normally because my dad was from Romania and he grew up in Israel. So like my dad would eat for breakfast, a piece of toast with sardines on it and maybe some roasted red pepper and eggplant spread. And we bought gefilte fish and it came in jars with like gelatin all around it. So I already knew, but this was confined to my house. Now I'm in the dorm cafeteria line and everyone's going to see that I'm a weirdo because I'm going to try to find some weird stuff to eat. And I was like trying to be normal and like white bread. And so I'm pushing my tray down the salad bar line And I really wanted beets, 
But now, you know, there's like beet salads. Ever that at that time, it was not like that. So I thought if I put beets on my salad, everyone's gonna think I'm weird. And so I didn't. I didn't conform until the next day when I was like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> that was quick. It was. It was like a one day turnaround. But it was like this this like big moment though of of feeling very exposed suddenly out of my family's home. And Lyric Sporn may have had the same experience. He was going to school at UC Davis in Northern California in the early '90s, and he had roommates who were not Asian like he is, and he had a big crock of kimchi in the bottom of his fridge. I had this giant jar. Uh, our homie's mom used to make kimchi. Right. Uh-huh. Shout to Young Sun out there. She used to make kimchi and like she would give us kimchi. And so I had this giant like glass barrel. Of ki- this uh-huh. was in the, you know, the 90s before you could buy kimchi at Trader Joe's. Actually, this is before Trader Joe's, I think. And uh, <laughs> it was probably a big, a foot and a half high, you know, just of kimchi. No way in the world anybody could eat this much kimchi. Uh-huh. But of course I did. And it's in our like, you know, biscuit colored you know, Maytag refrigerator in college. Yeah. You know, that super loud refrigerator. It's like, you know, all night Got to keep that kimchi cold. That's right. <laughs> and it would take up the entire bottom, sh- you know, where you put the gallon of milk. Yes. I had two gallons of kimchi, <laughs> right, in this big tub. But then she would be on your, can I say the A word? Yeah. Your butt. She'd be on your butt constantly by giving her the jar back. You know, I understand that feeling. You know, you're like, can I get my Tupperware? I hate giving out Tupperware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then you're like, okay, well, I get it. Because where else are you going to find a three gallon jug? Yeah, reusable. That that stinks. Yeah, right. With this weird yellow top. You know what I mean? So it was in there. My my roommates were like, what the hell is this, man? It's taking up all this space. (sighs) And they thought it was funny. They'd call it bloody lettuce. You know. And I say, but no, guys, it's spicy. It's got probiotic qualities. <laughs> you should really partake. Get that bloody lettuce out of here. You. you know what I mean? This is pre-kombucha times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody knew what pre- prebiotics were. Yeah. You know? Oh, what you mean? Help me, well, help me get rid of that. Uh, get rid of my hangover? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, totally. It will, yes. And what are you doing with that? They would ask me, you know. I'm like, I'm I eating it. it. Hell yeah. yes. <laughs> and this Very is fun. why I have great gut health. To this day. Correct. it is It is crazy and amazing. I think these are Aerosmith songs that I'm just reading now <laughs> and crying. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that they sell it at Trader Joe's. I was just there the other day and bought kimchi, and it is not spicy at all. No, but it's it not. is still good, and it has like an effervescence to it. Yeah. Um, but no spice. But like, it's kind of nice when you're in a pinch and you can only go to one store. Like before, I used to have to go south Seattle yes. to go to the big Asian market, and it's like, now you can go to Trader Joe's and get tahini, and you can get kimchi, That's and like right. all these things. It's amazing. Place. That's yeah. what I'm saying. The world is changing for for the better. Yeah. In, that, in that regard, definitely. You know, I think it's it's fantastic. You know, but just know, I had kimchi in my fridge in '91. He's a hipster. He had it first. He had uh, it before it was cool. Hell yeah! <laughs> you knew about it before Koreans knew about it. Well, I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but yes. But what exactly is kimchi? Let's ask Chef Rachel Yang. Rachel was born and raised in Korea, and her parents sent her to the U.S. when she was 15 years old to live with some relatives so she can get a good education. And she did get a great education. She went to Brown University, where she got a degree and decided never to use it, uh, like a lot of people. So she went to cooking school. She ended up cooking at some of the fanciest New York restaurants, including Per Se and Alain Ducasse, which is where she met her husband, who was also a chef. Eventually, they moved to Seattle. They opened a few restaurants. They opened a restaurant in Portland. And at their restaurant, Revel which is one of my favorite. Anytime someone comes to the city, I always tell them to go to Revel. Uh, they do sort of like a Pacific Northwest version of Korean food. So, of course, they serve kimchi. 
And they serve a few different kinds of kimchi. Okay, so I'm sure there's a million recipes and, you know, everybody does theirs different. But what are like, what's your recipe or what is like a quote standard recipe for making a classic kimchi? So there are a few things that you kind of definitely want to have when you're making kimchi. It's the vegetable that you want to ferment. So it can be napa, which is very standard and traditional. In Korea, you know, this time of the year, um, after the harvest is done, um, this fall time is the time when you make napa kimchi. So you'll get like cases of kimchi and make kimchi for your rest of winter. Uh, but you can do a daikon, uh, you can do cucumber, you can do some other vegetables. So there's a lot of different ways you can use the vegetables for and then for actual kimchi base or kimchi marinade, oftentimes you see onions, ginger, garlic, and sometimes Asian pear, and most oftentimes uh, different kinds of like fish sauce. And often in Korea, especially, is the uh, salty shrimp. And then, of course, the um, chili powder. Yeah, because it's like this nice, bright brick red, usually. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love that color. So all these ingredients, do you blend them up? into kind of like a liquid or like a paste that goes on the cabbage or do you just dump them all into the jar? These items all get blended in. Actually, when my mom first came to my restaurant and uh, she was totally surprised the fact that, oh my gosh, you guys are making kimchi actually really easy because here in America, all the ingredients we listed above, we just put it in the blender and we blitz it and then we are done. In Korea, I still remember when I was helping my mom making kimchi, you actually grated ginger in a grater, you like, you know, chop it really fine and go through basically either chop it with your knife really fine or go through more and pestle to kind of make it into grate. So it takes all day to kind of make this paste. And kimchi was something that you get all your friends and family in one room. It takes, you know, a couple of days of preparations and all day to kind of make a batch. Okay, so it's kind of like tamales, like you have this like assembly oh line of people. Absolutely. Yeah. So once you have all your ingredients... Everything goes into a big jar, just like the one that LB's friend's mom wanted to get back with the yellow top. And you don't want any air getting in because this is going to be on the counter fermenting and you don't want it to get moldy. But you also need to let the air come out somehow uh, because the fermenting process will create a lot of gas. So it'll sit on the counter or in a cupboard in a dark, dry place, and it will ferment for as little as three days And up to two years, which I had no idea that you could ferment kimchi for that long. But Rachel says that seven to 10 days is pretty standard. Like Everyone has different preference. My mom loves super sour kimchi. My dad is a fan of really fresh kimchi. He does not like the sourness. So my mom wouldn't make her kimchi to go sour in the fridge for like months. And then she'll pull it out and make uh, like stews and like pancakes and like Anytime when you get this like extra funky uh, kimchi, they're like so great in the cooked items. Mm, And then the fresh stuff is what you want to eat cold as a condiment. Yeah, those are awesome. And if you buy a jar of kimchi and it's too mild for your taste, you can easily fix that yourself. One trick is that oftentimes people think that like, you know, the store-bought kimchis are not that good. One thing to remember is that store-bought kimchis are never fermented enough because the fact that they have a, they need to basically sell it this range of time. So they're always under-fermented. So whenever I buy store kimchi, which I do, I I actually personally do not make kimchi at home. um, I always actually let it sit out on the counter for uh, two extra days for me. Oh, and would you open the jar first? I usually open it a little, crack it open a little bit. And if it's it's, uh, filled to the top, I usually have like sitting in the plastic bag or on a plate. So it doesn't like all the juice doesn't overflow. And most oftentimes just two extra days does the wonder. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do that too. Yeah. Rachel says Koreans eat kimchi with every meal. 
I crave kimchi as I get older. It's one of those flavors, like it's just so addictive and it's like, oh gosh, like I just crave that kind of, because it, it is, it's got the really cool, sour, funky, it really goes with everything. It's a great palate cleanser. It just kind of makes you want to take the next bite of something else. Like just like it, it, it enhances the flavor of everything else and goes well with everything else. I think you're right. It makes it hard to stop eating because what I do, it's like you take a bite of meat, you take a bite of kimchi, then you're like, oh, now I need rice. I know. Oh, now I'm ready I for next one. <laughs> and then it's like you're constantly balancing I know, it out. It's I like know. I can't stop because yeah. I'm always eating that next flavor. Exactly. Yeah. I eat it at my desk here at work and people walk by and they're like, what is that? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm eating kimchi just out of the jar because it is so good. And now what is it like, you know, for you growing up eating this your whole life? And now it's trendy in the United States because all these fermented foods, you know, are supposed to be really healthy for your gut I now. Know. So it's like yeah. kombucha and kimchi and sauerkraut and all that stuff. Is it is what does it feel like to see this food, you know, that when you came here probably wasn't as prevalent? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the more than anything, I do really appreciate the, the fact that people are so accepting of kimchi because I was like, you know, you know, there was that, you know, huge preconceived notion of like, oh, it's so stinky. It's like, you know, it's got this garlic breath. It's like, but you know what? Like, you know, actually underneath it all, it's this amazing thing. And I think generally see everyone who, uh, who come to our restaurant really appreciate kimchi and love kimchi. We just have this new item at Jewel. So we do a, a twice-baked potato filled with um uh, potato mixed with bonito mornay so it's just kind of so ooey, did you say right? bonito mornay yeah yum that's like umami bomb i know it's so good but we served it on top of kind of our beef kimchi ragu so we cooked a short rib with the kimchi and then with a little bit of um fermented soybeans it's amazing so definitely try something if you feel like you have a kimchi that you bought you couldn't finish it in time it gets you know it's a little too funky to your taste make your soup, make your pasta sauce. Like, you know, it, you, you'll be very surprised. That it's very different kinds of flavor than what you're used to having it fresh. Does it mellow out in the heat? Absolutely. Okay. So it mellows out because of the spice blackens and then it kind of caramelizes and sweetens a little bit. Rachel says the most popular kimchi trend right now in Korea is sort of Western. It's eating kimchi with cheese, which I have called kimchi. I'm still marketing that. <laughs> she says they put it on pizza. They put it in uh, stir-fried rice with cheese. So her baked potato fits right into that with its dashi cheese sauce. Hey, can I ask you something? Yeah. What is that cheese that you got so excited about? Oh, well, when she said dashi mornay. Yeah. Yeah, so a mornay is just a classic sauce, a French sauce, and it's basically a cheese sauce. So if you made a roux and you added milk and that became a bechamel, as soon as you add the cheese in, it's Mornay. So every time you make mac and cheese, if you want to sound fancy, you can say, I made a Mornay sauce. Uh, That's what mac and cheese is. But then she added dashi, which is a Japanese kind of fish stock. uh, And it's so good. And it's basically in every Japanese food. Sorry, vegetarians. So yeah, that is like very salty and umami. And then in cheese, you have umami as well. So to me, it just sounds like the ultimate umami bond. Bond? Bomb. <laughs> I'm in the airport, so I'm trying not to say bomb. Because <laughs> I'll tell you that twice baked potato is on my last meal menu. I know. Yeah. Would you like yours with uh, dashi mornay and kimchi ragu? 1,000% yes. I got to get down there and try that before it's off the menu. That's at her restaurant, Jewel. J-O-U-L-E. Go, go, go. Lyrics Born loves his kimchi. And he also loves hot sauce. 
His absolute favorite hot sauce is no longer being made. Such a bummer. Reminds me of Kenny G and his shampoo. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to that episode. Uh, but this hot sauce is super interesting. It's called Burn Baby Burn, a taste of the 60s revolutionary hot sauce. And the reason it's interesting is because it was created by one of the original members of the Black Panther Party, a guy named David Hilliard. And he was making it and selling it, trying to raise money for this foundation that they still have going on that still raises money for the Black Panther Party. But since that's no longer in production, LB has to get his hot sauce elsewhere. We have papalote salsa. Have- that's from the Bay Area. Okay. We have Yucatan. Of course, we have sriracha, crystal, Tabasco. Tapatio? Tapatio. That's my friend. Valentino. What's the big one? Valentino. I like that one. It comes in a 40 bottle? Yes. Why can't you get a smaller one? I know. Why does a smaller one not exist? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's in the the door of the refrigerator. Yes. There's nowhere else to put it. Right. It's right next to like the bottles of like Perrier. Um, Careful in the night when you're grabbing for something. That's right. We probably have like 10 or 15 hot sauces in Mm -hmm. the fridge right now at any given time. And that was Lyrics Born's Last Meal. You should buy his new album. It's called Quite a Life. And I definitely recommend seeing him live. This dude is amazing. I saw him just a few weeks ago when he was here in Seattle. And after being in a room with him and interviewing him and Joy, seeing them on stage was like a completely different experience. Joy is like just hanging out in the corner. She's my homegirl from Pleasanton. On stage, she is gorgeous. She is sassy. Her voice is amazing. She has this like tough look on her face. It was like a completely different person. Uh, They are professionals and they are amazing. They are on tour right now. Go see them live. And you can look for LB in Ali Wong's upcoming film, Always Be My Maybe. Thank you so much, yeah, to four-time James Beard Award-nominated chef Rachel Yang. (laughs) Her restaurants are truly some of my favorite restaurants in Seattle. She co-owns Revel, Trove, and Jewel with her husband, Safe. And they have a restaurant called Revelry in Portland. This episode was produced by Aaron Mason and me, theme music by Prom Queens. And follow us on Instagram. Well, you're really just following me. It's all my pictures. Me, me, me. It's called Your Last Meal Podcast. And right now we have a contest going on through the end of the month. So if you're listening in the future, this contest only goes till October 31st, 2018. All you need to do is take a picture of your last meal. Post it on Instagram, not on stories. It only can be a post. And add the hashtag Your Last Meal Contest. And you will be automatically entered to win a $100 gift certificate from our sponsor, heritage distilling it doesn't matter where you live they ship bottles all over the country and all over the world so why wouldn't you want free delicious locally made booze hashtag your last meal contest i'm rachel bell and this is your last meal
an independent record li- record label. Oh, independent record label for babies. <laughs> <laughs> like you, Erwin Mason, you big baby. I'm a whapper. You are a hip-hop whapper. 